for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, today is an awesome episode. Today's guest is Austin Chandler from Illinois. He is part of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast crew and he is a big buck killing machine. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today's guest is Austin Chandler, like I said before, and this is a great episode. We cover a lot of different stuff as far as um, Austin's approach. So Austin's approach to October hunting, you know, he's a farmer, you know, that's his day-to-day job, so he doesn't get a lot of time to hunt in October, but we do cover how he approaches the fall every year. Um, how he approaches October and then how he approaches November. We talk about, you know, calling sequences and, and what he does with calls. Oh, what else? We talk about just being persistent. And, you know, his philosophy is the more time you can be on stand, the better. You know, the more you're successful. You know, you always hear the old adage, you can't kill him from the couch. Well, we get into that a little bit here. So it's a really cool episode. Austin Chandler is a solid guy. If, if you've been living on a rock, and I say this in the podcast, but if you don't know anything about the bow, um, I'm sorry, if you don't know anything about the Working Class Bowhunter podcast, you need to go check that out because he's on a lot of those episodes. He's really good friends with those guys, and he's part of that podcast. Um, and you can hear a lot of his stories on there. And a matter of fact, we get into two stories this this podcast about this last fall. He switched over to trad. He still has a compound, but this year was he's like, I'm going to take the plunge. And he killed two really good deer and we get into that and kind of how 
everything he'll even tell you is kind of a shit show and then it just happened for him so it was a really cool um ender to this podcast but uh, a lot of cool information in this one um so i encourage you guys to listen to the listen to the whole thing because uh, austin's a really good dude and just a lot of cool content so i guess with that being said i'm gonna kick it over to this interview with austin and thank you guys for listening all right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast, and today I've got a guest on that uh, I've been wanting to have on for a very long time. I feel like I know this guy uh, personally just because I listen to so much Working Class Bowhunter, and uh, he's on there a lot. So Austin Chandler, welcome to the podcast, man. Aaron, what's going on, dude? Nothing much, man. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I, I feel like I've listened to so much of your stories on Working Class, and, you know, I talked to Kurt you know, Geyer quite a bit. And he, you know, he talks about how, you know, you do stuff on a very high level when it comes to whitetail. And, you know, I've been wanting to get you on for a while now and finally we've been ma- been able to make it happen. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah, it's cool to be on. I've, uh, I kind of missed one of your Instagram messages, I guess. I get busy farming and, and hunting and I, uh, I must've overlooked a message, but, <laughs> uh, it's, it's cool to be on. And, uh, yeah, I, I was talking to you about this. It still kind of blows my mind that people know who I am. But uh, the Working Class Bowhunter podcast has got a huge following, and it's uh, just really cool to be a part of that whole team. We, Everybody on the team really flows together well, so we've been, been having a blast with that. Yep. No, I agree, man. And if, if anybody out there has been living under a rock for the last five or six years, go over to Working Class Bowhunter and listen to their podcast stuff. It's it's uh, it's awesome. I I've listened to every one of the episodes and really enjoy, you know, listening to you guys and, and really, uh, all the information you guys do and the stories. I I love them. So I appreciate it. We, uh, we have a pretty diverse team and a pretty diverse podcast, but it seems to work. People seem to like it. So (laughs) we're having fun with it. (laughs) For sure, man. Well, I got one, I got one question and I told you before we were recording that I wasn't going to put you on the spot, but you know what? I just thought of this question and I'm going to do it. What uh, is, put me on the spot. <laughs> and I might've missed this from the working class bowhunter. If you guys talked about it, but where does the nickname, the Lord come from? Kurt thought it would be a good idea to call me the Lord. Um, <laughs> and my wife hates it. So he's, he's obviously using it more since my wife hates it, but, uh, he, he looks, he considers me a white tail God, which I try to be humble and it's, it's kind of, it's flattering, but it's kind of like, all right, you guys are kind of building me up into something that I'm not, but it just became a whole joke on the podcast. So the Lord seems to have stuck. <laughs> I like it though. And I do like Kurt's thinking because like I said, you, you do things on a high level. And if anybody wants any, you know, any facts to that, go to your Instagram, Austin Chandler's Instagram, and look at the deer that he's been taking in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years or whatever. It's, it's second to none <laughs> you you are you've got a well, knack for things I, man I, yeah i get to spend a lot of time in the woods i've uh, been blessed to have been born where i where i ended up here and uh yeah i'm just i'm in the perfect location in god's country where there's big white tails all around and i get enough time to chase them and uh, when you kind of add in the right environment and a persistent attitude things things seem to fall together every fall for me i'm sure it's not always going to be this way but i'm just kind of i'm just kind of riding that train as long as i can yep for sure and so that kind of with that persistent attitude that kind of segues me into my my first question and you know you are a very persistent guy and 
the things that I gather and the things you and I've talked about is, you know, your philosophy is the more stand time you can, you can get the more successful you are. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like, I know it's pretty self-explanatory, but like where, when did you start picking up on that? You know, as like, man, this is like what I need to be doing, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of start at the beginning. Um, I started bow hunting, uh, it would have been in 1997 and was fortunate enough my first year to, we, my dad, it was the first year I was in high school. My dad took me out to Utah and I arrowed my first animal. It was a cow elk. I made a 50 yard shot on a cow elk the last day of the hunt. So, uh, got, got bit by the archery bug right off the bat. And, uh, the following year in 1998, I was able to arrow my first whitetail buck. And he ended up being a monster. He was, uh, he, he grossed almost 170 inches and I wasn't really holding out for a deer like that. It, it just, it just happened to be fate that a very large whitetail fell to me my first year <laughs> of bow hunting. And, uh, because of that, I kind of got bit by the mature buck hunting right off the bat. So it's kind of a funny story. You know, most guys climb the ladder and start out with some younger deer. And, um, it was kind of a different story for me. I started out with a big one and I just thought, you know, this, this is cool enough. I I'm just going to keep doing this. So I never shot an immature deer. I just started with a good one and just kept rolling. You know, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because like you talking about everybody, you know, climbing the ladder thing, that was me, you know, climbing the ladder deal. Um, I haven't killed any yep. you know as many giants as you have <laughs> at all honestly um my bucks you look at mine you're probably like those are you know they're good bucks but they're you know mediocre bucks compared to yours which is fine but you know there's well, two different I, the one that the one that sticks out in my head is that the one that you shot it, it almost looks like a uh an extra main beam and then it's yeah. got some weird <laughs> points coming off the back of it that's that buck's just insane yeah and that's and that's something we talked about, you know, when we walked up on him and we stopped filming and it was just like, you just look at a deer like that and you're like, the cool thing about that is there's not one other deer out there that'll be like that, really. You know what I mean? It's like, there might be traits like that, but like, that is just ridiculous how that side, you know, the yeah. one side grew. It was just, it was crazy. Um, but He's an awesome deer. That's that's what keeps me ticking is just those those abnormal whitetails running around you never know what's going to be on the next trail camera or come around the come around the draw the next time that's what keeps me going out every year but for uh, sure man no i i shot that first i shot that first buck and it just kind of ignited a fire and i kept rolling through i i was able to kill a couple good ones in high school um and then killed another one after college and it was right around, so I started in 98 on whitetail hunting, and it was around 2009 when I really started discovering that the more time I spent in the tree uh, was directly related, kind of correlated to my success. The more hours I could spend, the more success I was finding. And I just, in 2009, I was able to tag out on two good deer, and I just kind of committed to it there in 2009 that I was going to spend as much time as I could in the woods with them. And, uh, I think I've doubled every year since 2009. Holy cow. That's unbelievable, man. That, so, you know, when that kind of light bulb moment happened to you now, do you have like a methodical approach to each October or each fall? You know, are you like, well, this is my basis. I'm going to start from a distance 
see if I can figure out what a deer is doing and then move in? Is that like your kind of 30,000 foot view approach every fall? Well, uh, I, I do take the same approach every year and it is more, um, kind of laid back and kind of more observation in October. Um, it's not really due to the fact that I want to be conservative. It's just due to the fact that I am a farmer. So I have to, uh, I have to spend a lot of time working in October. So it always seems I, I try to be done with my farm work by the end of October so I can really kick back and enjoy the rut. And that's when I seem to have most of my success, but, um, I can see a lot of value. I know a lot of big buck killers are very aggressive in November or in October. Uh, when they, and, and I would agree when you have a, a good bead on a buck, whether it be in a food source or on a scrape or, uh, wherever you seem to have found him in October, if you have a good bead on him and you're getting, you know, you're seeing him in the daylight, it's time to strike. I, you got to strike when the iron's hot, no matter what time of year it is. If you're seeing a buck in the daylight, it's time to make a move. But uh, for me, it just never seems to pan out in October. I've only killed my earliest deer is October 15th. And okay. uh, I've only killed, you know, several deer in October and most of them are right there in the last week. So, uh, but no, I, I, it's not necessarily because I don't want to be aggressive in October. It's just due to the fact that I don't have a lot of time in October to hunt. Right. Yeah. And I totally understand that. I mean, my brother-in-law is a farmer. He's not a hunter, but I just see how much work he puts in, you know, they've got a dairy farm, you know, so a dairy farm never sleeps, but on top of that, they do a whole bunch of custom cash cropping and harvesting and stuff like that. So it's like, it never ends, man. And, um, you know, the amount of time that you put in for work is like, it's crazy. But on the flip side of that, you know, are you guys like a cash crop farm or a dairy farm? Yeah, we do, uh, row crops. So, uh, primarily corn with some soybeans. Um, depending on what the markets are doing, we're, okay. we've been 50, 50 before, but most of the time it's hev- heavily corn. Okay. Uh, we, we live in an area with some diverse farm ground. We've got quite a bit of irrigation on some sand and then we got some bluff ground. So we farm a little bit of everything. I gotcha. Now, I guess my question to that is like, are you farming a lot of the ground that you're hunting then? Yes. Yeah. And that, that's nice to be able to kind of farm and scout at the same time. And you get to see animals out of the, out of the tractor or combine. So it kind of, you know, you get to do some scouting out of the machines, which is kind of cool. But, uh, I've, I've grew up in the same area my whole life. Uh, my, my great grandfather started us. My grandfather was a farmer. My dad's a farmer. And now me and my brother are kind of starting to take over. So, uh, we've, just really fell in love with this area, not only because of the hunting, but the farming as well. Right. So yep. It uh, just seems to work out really well for us. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I was getting to. Like, you know, was it, have there ever been an instance when you're like harvesting corn or something like that and you see a, a giant that you're going after and you're like, well, shit, I got to get down. I got to like, you know, shut the combine down and I got to get in the timber. Has that ever happened? I bumped a monster. I <laughs> uh, would have been prior to, 2009 when I was talking about really getting into this but I almost hit him with the corn snout he he waited right till I got up on him to get up and uh it was a neighbor that ended up killing him in gun season several weeks later he ended up going like 192 oh my gosh he was he was something to see running around in the cornfield that's crazy now I've always wondered too like when you're harvesting corn or something like that do a lot of the deer you know every 
everybody's like, oh, there's tons of deer in the corn and everything, which there probably are. But do those deer hold pretty tight, like, when you're cutting the corn until, like, the last little bit, and then they just, like, scatter? Like, how does that play out? Yeah, I mean, they'll move back and forth between the standing corn and the timber, but when they when they really kind of come out of the woodworks right there at last light and the machines are still going in the field and they're just curious enough or they don't care, they'll come out and check the machines out so you kind of get a look, see what's in the field. It's pretty cool. Yep, I got you. Um, to kind of go back to October, are you, you know, with your October approach, are you, if you ever get opportunities to hunt in October are you hunting any mornings in October I know that's like a huge debate like a lot of guys say you can't hunt October mornings a lot of guys say you can like where where do you fall in that yep well I I'm a I'm a conservative hunter I try to kind of model my approach I guess Bill Winky would be a good matchup to my style um, I I am conservative in October I don't hunt a lot of mornings now that being said you just have to pay attention to the intel that you have and if you've got a, a buck that's doing, that's on a, a schedule in October in the mornings where you're seeing him in daylight, obviously it's time to make a move. But for the most part, I am more of an evening hunter. It's just easier for me to get in between them and the food and intercept and not take a chance of blowing deer out of my spots where I'm anticipating, uh, you know, doing some rut hunting for my big deer that I know that are on the farm. Right. Yep. I totally get that for sure. And I'm kind of the same way, you know, if I can, if I've got any sort of intel on a deer that's in daylight in October to any moment, I'm jumping in, you know, I I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily just go in on a whim or just like throw a dart at the wall. But, you know, with me and my work, you know, I'm filming a ton of the fall. So it also, I got to play into the fact that like, how many times am I going to be able to sit with a bow in my hand? Like, you know, maybe throw a shot and just go in here where I know he's, you know, he's hanging out where I think he's living and hopefully I don't bust him. You know, I have, I have done that. So it's kind of, kind of got two things going against me there, but I totally get that, you know, cause I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to the morning hunting in October. I shot, you know, one of the bigger deer in Michigan that I've shot with a bow in the morning on the edge of a bean field. Like it was the exact opposite of like what everybody tells you to do, you know, don't, don't hunt field edges in pressured areas unless it's, you know, security cover with corn and everything. This was a standing bean field, October 10th. It was the first cold front of the year and it was the first day of the cold front. And this big four-year-old walks out and, you know, I got an opportunity at him and I'm like, I literally just did everything that nobody tells you, you know, so it's like, it's kind of hard to look into a lot of different things when it's, you know, situations can be different. Yeah, well, when the stars align, I mean, if you've got a, a cold front coming in, like you said, I mean, we've the last couple of years we've caught some nice cold fronts in October, and it's honestly been just as good as anything you see throughout the rut. Um, if you catch that cold front right, um, the barometer's high, you know, the moon phase, if everything's lining up and you can crawl into a spot without bumping deer, I'm it's like I said, it's all situational. It all depends. And a lot of farms are different than other farms. I mean, if you can get in and out without alerting a lot of deer, then by all means, you know, make your move when you need to, but just try to try to pay attention to that, I guess. And, you know, if you think you're going to cause more harm than good and you're seeing flags come up in front of you when you're going in, it's probably not the best idea. Right. Um, to kind of further this point on this, you know, let's, 
hypothetically say, you know, you're, you're entering, uh, you know, a stand location in the morning and you're going like maybe down a field edge or something like that. Um, you know, it could be a destination food source or something like that. But have you ever had the instance and in, in the reason why I ask is because I've had this like quite a bit where I go out and you might hear deer running in front of you or the thing is like all my instances with this is deer like when it's really dark I get in when it try when it's like really pitch dark I know they can see good you know in the dark but all the times I've bumped deer like that they'll run off a little ways and then they'll just kind of do their thing like they don't ever right. blow out of the country you know have you ever had an instance like that where it's like you know you see a trend like that like deer don't just like start blowing and you know, they just kind of run off and they're like, oh, what's that? Because I try to get in early and under the cover of darkness and just kind of let things settle a little bit too sometimes. Have you seen a trend like yep. that at all? Well, I like to do both. So I'm either going in really early where I'm, uh, and I do a lot of mobile hunting, so I bring my set with me a lot of the time. So I'll go up and be up in the tree um, kind of before it's breaking light. So I like to get in early or I like to go in late when I can see pretty much everything that's going on. Um, I've got some friends that have kind of got me onto this later approach to the stand and you seem to, to bump fewer deer doing one of those two methods. I like both. I'll, I'll go in extremely early or I'll go in late enough to where I don't need to be glassing as I'm going in. I can just kind of, you know, see with my eyes what's going on and I, I seem to bump less deer doing that. More of that, like, gray light kind of time frame? It, more like full light, yeah. Okay. Like an hour after an hour after first shooting light, like 45 minutes after first shooting light. You know, everything's, everything's bright enough. If you see deer in front of you, you can kind of stop and analyze what's going on uh, as you work your way into the stand. Right. Now, is that more of, like, a November tactic for you, like, kind of in the rut phases? When the rut's on, I like to be in early. I like to be in before the deer are moving because a lot of times you're going to catch that big boy cruising right at first light. So, um, but I mean, like I said, every farm is different. So you, as you learn your farms, you're going to know, okay, do I need to be in there that early or does it make more sense to kind of wait and hold back and go in with my eyes, you know, in the light, uh, I guess people are unfamiliar with this just kind of experiment with it and try and see what works the best for you but i've i found a lot of success and and seem to bump less deer when i can use the light and and a lot of situations yeah that makes sense you know i know a couple of buddies that do that as well um and are really successful with it my thing it's kind of a head game where it's like well if i'm getting in like when it's full light out it's like it almost feels like I'm not hunting. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I love that first like crack of day, out. you know, um, birds are yep. chirping, frost is on the ground. And like, you hear that, like, I love that. Like, Oh, that's going to happen right away. I love that feeling. Yep. I, I know what you're saying and it does seem like you're missing out the first few times you do it. But when you, when I look back on all my hours on the stand, I look back at kind of when activity starts really picking up and, you do see some deer right at first light. That's kind of a hot time, but there's usually for me, there's usually a gap and it's usually about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes after I've been in the stand when I start seeing kind of an increase in activity. So, I gotcha. Yep. Even though you might feel like you're missing out, sometimes you're not really missing that much by waiting and kind of going in with the light. Yep. 
No, that makes total sense for sure. Now, to kind of like change gears a little bit on visualizing like a target buck in October, like if you see, let's say you're driving or scouting from the, from the truck or something one night or during the day and you see your target buck in daylight hours in October, you know, let's let's call it middle of October, the quote unquote October lull or something. Um, are you diving in right away, like next day or that night? Like, are you going right now? If it's so, if the weather permits and I can't farm and I've got an opportunity to hunt in October and I see a big deer in the daylight, yeah, the following evening I will be making my move. Um, or if I think that I've got a really good bead on where that deer is bedding and I can intercept him coming in the morning, getting back to his bed, you know, you could, you could get aggressive, but I, yeah, I'd be on that food source the next night. Yep. And that's just the general rule of thumb that I've always followed. When, you know, strike when the iron's hot. If if you're seeing that deer do things in the daylight, don't wait because they're wild animals. I mean, they they can change their patterns, especially in October, very quickly. For sure. I, I agree. Now, talking about a little bit of buck bedding and, you know, if you think you know where this deer's bedding, in your opinion, you know, if you have an area where a buck is bedding or you, you might even see this deer bedding there, like how, you know, in your, in your, you know, experiences and everything, like how often is this buck bedding in this area? If that makes sense. I'm I'm not following the question there. So if you, you know, if you see like, let's say you, you know, have this thicket that it's like, well, I know this is kind of my sanctuary and you know, you see physically see a buck bedded in, you know, this area and you're like, man, I, I know yep. where he's bedding. Like how many times is that buck bedding there in your experiences? Like, is it something that he's going back to this area a lot or is it like he's just going to bed kind of where he, you know, feels safe? Well, it's an extremely situational question. Um, every deer is different. Every farm is different. Uh, I've had those deer. Well, uh, you know, I've seen them bed in this area. I'll walk in, I'll pick their sheds up on that exact ridge, um, even in the same bed. Um, most of the time, if a deer feels secure on that farm, he's got certain beds that he's going to use with certain winds that allow him to access certain foods. And if it's working for him and he can either not get disturbed or he can sense danger before it gets to him, he's going to make it a habit to keep using that bed. Um, a lot of, and you've heard that the Quistos probably talk about the bump and dump method where yep. they'll bump a big deer out of his bed and then come in and get in front of him and kill him coming into that exact bed. Um, just because you bump a deer doesn't necessarily mean that he's gone. Um, if that bed does what it's supposed to and alerts him a danger, he, he likes that spot still. So he's probably going to come back and use it. Now, if he keeps getting repeatedly bumped out of it, he's, he's going to change, but, uh, but it's just hard to. You know, it's hard to say if you see a buck one time that that's his bed that he's coming to, you know, there, he might only bed there one time and then, you know, move on through. I mean, you really just, it's all, it's just one of those things where you have to know your farm and know the deer to really say if that deer is making it a habit to bed in that spot. Right. And you answered that perfectly because that's what exactly what I was looking to get out of it was. You know, if you have these certain areas on your farm where you can identify that this buck feels safe, like he's going to bounce from those, you know, one to the next to the next. 
You just got to figure out like with food sources and topography and everything, where to set up. Like that's the perfect answer I was looking for because uh, in my opinion, like you said, I know it's very situational and everything like, you know, the buck bed craze is like huge, but I think there's very situational things that like a buck might come back to that. Like, you know, a lot of people think the bucks come back to that every day or every other day or which that could happen. But in my experience, it's been like, you know, they're going to bed where they're going to bed, but they have to feel safe. You know, that could be in woods a or woods B or, you know, it just depends. He will be back at some point, you know, you just got to hope to be there. Yeah. A lot of these big deer will access the same food source for days or weeks at a time, but they don't always access it from the same direction. You know, a lot of these old deer like to kind of put the wind in their nose and, and approach it from a safe side. And, uh, if they've got one bed, it kind of makes it tough for them to kind of loop around and access. So they might have several beds to access the same field. Yep. So for sure. It's, uh, and, I, and I'm not a big, I'm not a, a buck bed hunter. Like I'm, I've just never got into getting right on top of them and killing them in the bed. Uh, it sounds cool. And I take my hat off to the guys that do it. I've just, it's just never been a tactic for me. I'm, I'm just more conservative. I'd rather stay away from the bed, let them stay nice and cozy and, and secure. And then I get multiple opportunities to try to kind of make my move through the season on them as they're approaching food. Yep. Yeah. You know, those bed hunters that do do that, it, it, it does sound really cool. Like to be able to like get up in a stand and when you get up there 40 yards away, you see tines, you know, in like a, a marsh or something. It's like, oh shit, he's there. Like that is the coolest yeah. thing, but it, it takes That's things to another on, level. Like you're dialed to the max. You're, you're dialed to the max. Yes. Get in on one and watch him bed down or watch him get up. Like that's when you know you're dialed in. Uh, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'll never do it. I would like to try it, but it just, it seems like with my conservative approach, it's just something that I've never really been able to do. Yeah. And honestly, that seems like it takes a ton of time for scouting and, you know, finding those beds, locating the ones that, you know, are buck beds, you know, like locating the right ones. And then, you know, the wind and the thermals, like you have to be on top of your shit from A to Z for everything to fall into place, I feel like. Yep. Yeah, those guys that are doing it, the uh, the Andre de Cuestas, man, they figured out stuff a long time ago that that I still don't know. But <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, there's more than one way. There's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess, and he's figured out a pretty cool way to do it. Yep, that is for sure. Um, I have a question as far as like, do you have a favorite day or favorite set of days that you're like, this is the time I need to be in the woods, like, all the time, every year, year in and year out. This is the the time frame. The the time frame from Halloween until the 15th of November is good. And specifically my dates that I seem to have luck on are from November 2nd through about the 7th or 8th. Okay. Uh, I would say more, more than half the deer on my wall have fell in that five or six day period. Okay. Um, a lot, a lot of guys are, they like to target one specific deer and try to kill him in the season. And it's not always the best time to do that. I mean, sometimes you do get lucky and see him on his feet, but as far as predictability goes, you know, October and December are probably better times to, to accomplish that goal. But I'm, I'm a sucker for random deer that just show up. I, I like the excitement of not knowing what's out there. And, uh, a lot of these deer on my wall are not deer that I was, 
specifically targeting. It just happened to be that during the rut, they happened to come by me and, uh, it might not be as methodical as a lot of these guys that are picking out one deer. I mean, I do that quite a bit, but half of my deer are just random rut deer that run by me. And, uh, I still find that style of hunting just really exciting. It's cool to hear you say that because I've had that instance here in Michigan where it's like, man, I have no idea who this deer is. And then you find out like the neighbor two miles away has been, you know, seeing him all year. And it's like, that to me is so much information right there of like, you just never know how far a deer can travel in the rut and what doe might bring him by. Um, I was, I had a deer on my, one of my farms here. This was three years ago and, uh, chasing him all summer or, you know, seeing him all summer, chase him, you know, during the fall a little bit, saw him one time and I lost him for like two weeks. I'm like, where is he? You know? finally shows up on camera again and he's got a crossbow bolt through his basically his back straps and oh man yeah and he and he showed up I'm like well and this was in November and I'm like he showed up for like two days and they weren't in daylight it was all nighttime one of my best friend's dads shot him opening day at gun season November 15th uh, the night of the 15th and he shot him two just over two miles from my farm. And I'm like, holy cow, like him and I have been hunting the same properties for how long now? And we never get the same deer. And then this deer just shows up two miles away. It's like, wow, that, that it's just crazy to me. And then you're figuring out how does he get there? Does he use this timber and use this timber? It's like, you know, that just, that's a, that's a cool story in itself. I love that. The magic of the rut, man. You got to love the rut. Even the people that don't like the rut still go out and hunt during that time just because you never know when that absolute giant's going to come right under your stand. 100%, uh, man. My, my biggest archery whitetail was that, that exact scenario. I, I hadn't had a picture of that deer. Uh, still can't place him from years of prior trail camera history and uh, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, he came by and I shot him and walked out to go get my, my family to help recover him and snagged the SD card on the way out. And I did get a picture of him the night before I killed him. That was the first picture I'd ever had of him. And I ended up killing him the next day, but that's crazy. He, he was a monster, like 188 inch double drop tine deer that I'd never seen before. You and double drop tines, man. Like, don't you have a couple deer that yeah. double drops? Yeah. I, I killed that big one with a bow in uh, what year was it? 20... 2010, 2011. I killed him in 2011, and then I killed uh, a deer that I call the hopper dropper. I killed him with a muzzle loader in what was it, 2018, I believe. That was a stud, man. Yep, he's a really cool deer. Uh, deer that I'd had history with for several years. Picked his antlers up the spring before, and uh, was really able to piece together a bunch of cool information about that deer, but. He, uh, he had me pulling my hair out by the time I killed him. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to get it done or not. With that deer, how much history did you have with him? Like, did you have any other encounters or anything? That season that I killed him, I had five encounters with him. And I had him uh, within 70 yards three different times with a bow. And just nothing would ever work out. He, he uh, had a doe with him one time that busted me. He came by my shooting lane too early one time i had my back to him and didn't see him come by and then one time the neighbor had actually missed him and he just he was trying to get into cover i didn't realize the neighbor had missed him but he came by me kind of fast and i just 
he was 70 yards, I wouldn't have shot at him anyways. But just never seemed to come together with the bow. But I was, I'm a, and I'm primarily a bow hunter, but I was still elated to kill him with the with the muzzle loader. Yeah, that's a, it's a giant. Did you ever get him aged or anything? So judging off of an antler that I found off of him in 2014, I think he was probably four, probably five years old in 2014. Yep. Um, and and I killed him in 18, so that puts him at nine and a half is wow. my guess on him. Yeah. That's crazy. And then you think about it, it's like, you know, if you only had two years of history with that deer, is that what you had? Like, or no, you had and since 14. So how many years of like pictures and stuff did you have of him? We had pictures of him since 14. Okay. So we had four years, well, five seasons worth of pictures of him. Well, even then, it's like, man, you know, how many bow hunters has this guy been by? How many times has he been missed by a, a bow or a gun or, yep. you know, and how many, you know, if you think he's nine, that's nine ruts, like nine years. Like my Iowa deer, he was aged at seven and a half. I sent his teeth in to get, you know, the cement the cementing or whatever the aging from deer age and they came back at seven and a half and it just made me think like how many times has this guy been shaved you know the back that his hair on his back been shaved off or you know how many other hunters are like is this their number one buck that they're like going after you know it's just that that stuff i geek out on At two and three years old, how many times did he come really close to going in the back of somebody's truck? Those are, <laughs> exactly. If they can make it past four years old, you know, they probably got it made. But Yeah, and it's, then it's uh, like... No, it's really cool. Yeah, and it's that, like... Uh, that, I'm sorry. Ahead. No, you're, not, you're fine. You go ahead. I was going to say, if anybody was interested in that Hopper Dropper episode, you can. we did a full podcast on him uh, with the Working Class Bowhunter podcast. I think it was like episode 260 or 261. But there's a there's a link that's got a bunch of pictures and, and kind of shows the the uh, history we had with that deer and kind of how he morphed and changed through the years and, and the podcast turned out really cool too. So if anybody's interested, they can check that out. Yeah, it's an awesome episode. It, I remember when the pictures came up. I actually saw the pictures on Instagram first before, uh, like right after you killed him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what kind of deer is this? You know, and then the episode dropped, and I'm like. It was cool just to hear the whole story, but no, that's that's yeah, awesome. I'm looking man. at him right now, I've got him, I've got him, yeah, I got him full body mounted up in my man cave. He's kind of jumping over a railing, kind of right towards the pool table. But he's uh, he's a cool looking deer. He's he's got a really small frame, and all of his tines kind of tip in at the top. He's like a 150 inch mainframe ten, but then he's got 39 inches of junk. He's got uh, two matching drops that are like nine inches each, and a bunch of burrs at his bases. He just uh, chocolate rack just a really cool looking deer jeez man that is cool and that that's what caught my eye is like how tight he is like how narrow framed and how chocolate racked he is obviously his two drop tines are great too but yep. <laughs> you know you just don't see that chocolate rack a lot yep. around you know down here in the in the states yep yeah he's he's definitely the darkest rack deer i've ever killed he's, he's uh, he stands out on the wall that's for sure yep for sure. That's sweet. Well, to kind of get into, you know, covered the October thing into November. I mean, what is your November approach? Now, by November every year, do you usually have like a deer that you've got a pretty good beat on? Um, and you know, like methodically, like how you're going to attack it? Well, 
and every farm's different, but this, the one farm where I seem to have a lot of my success, uh, it seems that it could be as late as November before a big one will really get in there and kind of call it home. So I just try to be patient and kind of wait and see what piles into that farm. Um, and it was the case this year. I ended up shooting a couple of nice ones off that farm and then had the monster roll in and he's still living there. So I'm looking forward to picking up his sheds, but, uh, every farm's different. This farm seems to hold deer from November on and they winter on it. And then when the summer gets in, they kind of leave and, and it's, you know, late October, early November before they kind of start trickling back into it again. Yep. Um, so my, my November approach is I just, I try to kind of wait, hang back and see what's going on. If I'm fortunate enough to tag out the first week in November, then that's great. If not, then my hopes are still high on that farm. Okay. Now when you're, when you're sitting back and waiting, um, obviously you're probably in stands that are like, well, you know, you can still get it done, but you're just not pushing the envelope as much as you normally would. Is that kind of where your head's at with it? Yeah. Though, and the longer I hunt, the more I stay out of this farm. It's just, it's great whitetail habitat, but it's just so tough to get back into the heart of it without busting, you know, 10 or 15 deer out. So the older I get, the more I just kind of hang back and hunt the fringes and it seems to work. You know, these big deer, they, they feel comfortable in there. It's just a sanctuary for them. Uh, kind of keeps them out of the neighbor's lap as well. So I just let them get comfy back there and kind of leave them alone. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, with November and everything, obviously the rut comes, you know, a lot of different tools you can use as far as calls and everything. Are you like a big caller? Like do you use rattling antlers, you know, grunters, all that stuff? Are you like a big yeah focalization? You I know, do, do you like to I get after like it? Call. Yep. Okay. Now, yep. are you uh, more? Do got, you like the blind we've call? We've got a lot of buddies that are. Well, I don't try to blind call. Um, if I can hear deer, like you know. Obviously, if you're hearing them, they're probably within 100, 150 yards of you. If I can hear a deer and I can't see them, there are times when I'll call at him. But to just randomly call, I don't I don't usually do that. Um, I've been busted more times than not. have a, a big mature deer come in and, you know, try to get downwind of you. They're just doing what they do and, and get caught. So I try not to blind call a whole lot. Um, like this year, I never even brought rattling antlers with me. It's fun to do every now and then, but I just, I haven't had a lot of success with rattling antlers. I, I've killed one good one, um, but I busted, you know, 10 good ones doing right, it. So, right, right. Uh, I've had a lot of success with a call. It's actually an old uh, mad call. Uh, came came out like in, I don't know, probably 07 or 08, called okay. the mad butt growl. And I, I still carry that thing with me today and actually killed my second buck this season with it. But that call has claimed a lot of big deer for me. I, I'm confident in that call. Usually if a, a mature deer is by himself and it's the right time of year, he's probably going to come into that call. Isn't that like the coolest feeling though when you see a mature deer by himself and he's just kind of like cruising and it's like, oh my gosh, like I've got him. If he's in the right mindset – I can get him over here. Isn't that like just a cool feeling? Yep. If the wind's in your favor and he's, you know, within 100, 150 yards and he's just kind of doing big buck things and there's no doe with him, he's there's a very good chance that a mature deer is going to respond to that call. And I I know a lot of guys don't like to call. Um, for me, I've just had enough success with it. I don't leave home without that call on my neck. Yep. Yeah, and with me calling, especially, you know, growing up in Michigan, I've done a lot of out-of-state hunting as well, but, 
you know, it's all relative to what, you know, I don't go here in Michigan and just start banging, rattling antlers together. And then the deer I killed in Iowa, you know, I did the first time I saw him, I blind rattled and he came in, but I knew my downwind side was a completely huge CRP field, you know, so not to, not to say that's a good thing to do, but I could see deer if they're going to be trying to get downwind of me. Like I had a good, um, good way to see them. So I knew they wouldn't try to get downwind, but like when I blind rattled and he came out of nowhere, I'm like, holy shit. Like, you know, and I drew him out of a standing cornfield. I, I figured he came out of basically a cornfield. Um, and that was my whole goal was to like, just see if I could drum something up and he comes out of nowhere. But you know, that's relative to Iowa and, you know, Illinois and Kansas, you can do that yep. kind of stuff and get away with it. Sometimes Michigan, you can't. So like, well, there's, yeah, what? there's uh there's nothing more exciting than clicking the antlers together and seeing a big one come into it. It's, it's pretty exhilarating. Yeah, it's, it, it really is. And that's like the approach I take in Michigan and, and you know, out of state as well as more the conservative approach when I'm calling, like if I've got a mature deer, you know, in the distance and it's like, I always bring out the grunter first, like a grunter here and even in Michigan has killed a lot of deer for me, you know, and, and give them a couple soft, like a little tending grunts. And just about every time the buck will come over and check it out and figure it out until he sees, he doesn't see what he wants to see. And then he's just like, well, I'm not sticking around here, you know, but hopefully you got an arrow in him by then. Right. <laughs> so that's cool it's it's a lot of fun to talk to them and communicate with them i've been able to use that call and then i've snort wheezed at a couple deer and snort wheezed some big ones in so that's always fun because they're really pissed when they come in and yep. do that and uh it's it's a lot of fun it definitely is so i i want to transition to this year now this year you had a goal to like kill a deer with your longbow right i mean you've never killed a buck with your longbow is that correct yeah that's correct i when i was in high school i shot a recurve a little bit and you know really enjoyed it but i just never had the confidence to uh to get out and try to hunt a buck with it and i'd i'd sat and stewed on this for years and just watched all these guys doing the traditional thing and there's a handful of guys that are you know having success with it every few years and I uh, I guess I was just to a point in my whitetail hunting career where I felt like I could afford to take a season off and just kind of try it. And I, I bought one this summer and started practicing with it. And I thought, you know, if I'm smart about my setups and I get within 10 to 15 yards of one, I've got a really good chance of putting an arrow through one. And uh, was really excited to take it to the timber and uh, kind of struggled on some does. Uh, missed and wounded a couple does and was getting discouraged and it finally came together i I shot a really nice doe in a food plot at 10 yards and just aced it heart shot her and watched her tip over and it was just the craziest feeling ever um it had been a long time coming you know it was always something that i'd wanted to do was kill a deer with traditional equipment and uh once it happened, I was like, man, I'm not setting this thing down now. So it wasn't just a few days later I was able to harvest harvest my first buck with it. It was pretty insane. So walk us through that a little bit, that first buck. Uh, you know, obviously having a little bit of a confidence boost, killing that doe first. But going into that, you know, I, I, I got a feeling like when you're walking into the woods, you have a different mindset, I would think. Like, I got to get a lot closer and I yeah. got to make sure I'm on top of my shit. Is that is that kind of how you were thinking? 
Well, the the closeness doesn't really bother me because 90% of the deer on my wall are within 20 yards when I shoot them anyway. So the the distance thing wasn't the limiting factor for me, or I didn't feel like it was going to be a limiting factor. The biggest thing for me was just shooting the bow well. Um, I'm just not that good of a shot with it yet. So uh, the more I shoot it, the better I get with it. And I've kind of, I'm changing some of my shooting styles to kind of try to kind of mold my own style to make something that works for me and I'm getting better at it. But, um, this first year that came in, I actually got YouTube videos up through the working class bow hunter podcast of both of these kills, if you want to watch them. But, um, the first year came in and gave, he gave me the shot that I wanted. It was 15, 17 yards, something like that. He was on a hot dough. Everything was perfect. And I shot high on him uh, out of a tree stand. I, I'd really been struggling with shooting high on deer. And I shot him high kind of up in the back straps. And, and he ran off and uh, kind of waited a little bit. And this little buck was chasing his doe around. And they went to leave and kind of went away from me. And he was on the opposite side of me. And when they left, he came to kind of follow. And you could actually hear that deer grunt. On, on that YouTube video, you can hear him grunt as he's coming by me with an arrow hole in him. And he he gave me one shot at 31 yards, and I aced it. So No way, um, man. That's kind of awesome. Outside of my comfort. Yeah, it was, it was a long bomb, but I took it anyways and uh, smoked him. And, yeah, we gave him a few hours. It was kind of liver and lung and gave him a few hours and recovered him. But it was I, I would consider that the pinnacle of my bow hunting career when I was able to, to make that shot on that deer. It was just insane. Dude, that's unbelievable. That's so cool. It, it's been something that, you know, about three years ago, I was like so close to getting like a recurve. I was, I was at the archery shop, like going to buy it, talked myself out of it and haven't, haven't, haven't picked it back up yet. And one of these years, I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I just don't know if I'm to the point yet. But to hear you say that, that just gets, like, the hair stands on my back. Like, I'm excited. Like, <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yeah. every, every bow hunter needs one. I mean, whether you're bow fishing with it or, or just shooting rabbits or whatever, every bow hunter needs one just to kind of play with and just kind of dream about, man, what would it be like to take this to the tree with me? Yeah. And the first time you do it, it's like you're hooked on it. Oh, my gosh. So now – like two days later, you go back out and you were successful again, right? It, I think it was probably five or six days later. I'm trying to remember the dates in my head. I okay. think it was like the, the I think it was like the eighth of November, and then I finished on like the what would have been like the thirteenth or fourteenth somewhere in there. Okay, so it was within the, within the, the same week off, though. Top of my head here. Yeah, yeah, it was within a week. I think it was within a week. I killed the doe the first buck and the second buck. So okay. I went from really riding the struggle bus to having <laughs> a lot of success in a week. So what happened with the second buck then? Well, I was in a spot, uh, actually the same 160 acre farm and I, I'd, I'd went around, I have to access it, cross a Creek to get into the North side of it. And I had pre hung a stand the day before I, I put eyes on a good deer in there about a week before that. So I went in, uh, hung a stand got out, left it for a day or two, and then came back in. And it was, uh, you know, it was right around that time our rut was peaking. I'd say around the 13th is when our rut peaked here this year. And uh, the deer got off his bed early. He was probably 150 to 200 yards, and I seen him cruising, and it was early enough. It was like, what, 3 o'clock when he got off the bed. 
So I just assumed that he had probably just got off the bed and was kind of starting to do his thing. And uh, he was coming towards me, and then he went to cut up a draw to go away from me, and I had that call with me, and uh, I I called at him, and he looked right at me, like right at my tree, and I knew at that minute, like, he's he's coming to me. <laughs> so I clicked the GoPro on, and he just, he just put his head down and came right to me. Um, popped a little creek and, and stopped at like 20 yards and I missed him. He, uh, he kind of froze after I shot and was kind of looking around. He could hear the grass move. He could hear the arrow hitting the grass after it went over him. And he kind of looked around and he's like, oh, oh well, must've just been a squirrel. And he actually, uh, came to me after I shot at him and walked up to 13 yards. And from prior experience of doing this already on deer that season, I'd had another arrow knocked because I knew he was probably going to stick around. And he, he gave me a shot at 13 yards and, uh, find him on that one. And then, and then finished him with a, with an arrow after that. But uh, man, you yeah, are, he was, he was a tank. He was, he was like 146, a, a young deer, but just too good to pass with the longbow. That's so cool, man. You are lucky <laughs> getting three opportunities I at am. this deer or at least two opportunities. <laughs> I never dreamed it would be an advantage uh, with a longbow, but it, that bow of mine is so quiet that if you miss and they don't totally blow out, you're gonna, you're probably gonna get another opportunity at them. It, I think it happened on three or four deer for me this season where I would shoot and miss, and they eventually just feed back by me again. Wow, that's crazy. Now, what's uh, what's your setup yeah. like? What bow do you have? What arrows and broadheads and everything are you running? Yeah, I, I'm shooting. A, it's a Stalker stick bow. Um, it's a Jackal FXT, so it's their long bow. Uh, I think it's 62 inches. Um, 43 pounds at 28 inches is what I'm pulling with it. Uh, I'm shooting a Victory Carbon Traditional 450 arrow. Uh, it's like an inch from being a from being full length, so it's a pretty long arrow. And then I'm shooting a VPA three blade, uh, one seventy five grain head, and I'm shooting an eighty grain insert with it. So okay, I got quite a bit of weight up front. Yeah, you're throwing a Lincoln log out there then. But, yeah, the, especially for a forty three pound bow, it's definitely not designed to be a long distance bow. I mean, sure. honestly, that shot I made on that deer at thirty one yards is really kind of pushing the envelope for that for that draw weight and that arrow. But it uh, it worked. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Now what? What made you go with like a long bow opposed to like a recurve? Well, I'd shot a recurve and I was honestly more familiar with them. I just like the look of them more. You know, they, they do hold a little more stored energy in the lens. They're just a little faster, but they, they are, uh, they're a little noisier and they have a little more hand shock. And I saw this long bow and it was a cool looking bow and it was a good enough deal. I took a chance on it and just started shooting it and really fell in love with it. Um, I have yet to shoot a recurve that feels as good in my hand as that longbow does. Now I do have a buddy that's got a custom built ILF, uh, Uka limbs. It's, it's sweet and it is smooth, but I still kind of prefer that just the draw cycle and the feel of that longbow. Yeah. Uh, but everybody's got their own personal preference on that. So. Now for anybody out there that might like want to know, you know, maybe just getting into like traditional, like what would you recommend, you know, now that you've taken it kind of through the first steps and the paces of this fall, like what would you recommend for that they do? So they're like, 
you know, don't get discouraged. Yeah. Well, I guess the first step is uh, get get something that you're comfortable buying. You know, if you're not sure that you're going to really take the dive, you know, buy a nice, you can buy a nice uh, bow to enter into the traditional game for under 200 bucks, uh, brand new. And you can find used ones cheaper than that. So just buy something and, and get it and start playing with it. Uh, if you think you want to get serious into it, there's a, a book that I read. Um, I think you can buy it through Lancaster. I think it's called uh, Learning How to Shoot the Stick Bow or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's it's a whole freaking novel on, on tuning and shooting styles and everything traditional. It's just a really good book. So once I got into it, I, I learned how to tune my bow and get the arrows flying the way that they should and... Uh, I'm still learning. I mean, I'm, I've only done this for one year. A lot of guys are looking to me for advice. I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for like nine months. So <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know everything, but I'm trying to pick up on stuff. Right. Yep. Now I guess the question is, are you ever going to go back to a compound? Well, I think I'm going to have to, uh, this fall we're going moose hunting in Alaska and I don't know that I'm going to have the confidence to shoot an animal like that with, with traditional gear yet. Um, maybe three or four years down the road, maybe I'll bring it up and I might bring it up with me this year, but right now I'm leaning pretty hard towards the elite. I'm probably going to pack the elite with me up there. I gotcha. Very cool, man. Well, Hey, I I know we're getting up on time here. I I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing this. And hopefully the experience was just as good as the working class bow hunter experience. (laughs) I'm hoping. Oh, it was a good time, man. I'm uh, I'm drinking water instead of whiskey, but other than that, it's it's it was a pretty good time. <laughs> well, perfect, man. I appreciate it. Um, if anybody you know out there wants to like know more about you, obviously the working class bow hunter, but where you know send them to your like IG channel. Like, where would they find you and everything if they want to see anything yeah. that you're doing? My Instagram is Austin Chandler eleven ninety seven. Um, and like like you said, you can you can find me on the Working Class Bow Hunter podcast site, uh, Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook. My my Facebook uh, is not as I guess I don't have as many of my deer on that as I do on Instagram. I try to on my Instagram I tried to kind of do a, a chronological uh, order of all my bucks that I've killed. So I most of them are in there. Awesome man. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a good time. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, we're gonna have to do this again. Maybe when you get back from your moose hunt, because I'll be interested. Is this your first moose hunt? It is. Yep. It'll be one it's heck of an experience. Fun. We've got. We had. Oh yeah, it's. We're gonna be hunting for ten days, and we're gonna be gone for fifteen. Uh, taking a float plane, and they drop us off in an area where nobody's been. So it's it's gonna be extreme. Yep. I can't wait to hear about that. We're gonna have to podcast about that. That'll be fun. <laughs> so for sure well cool man thank you very much and i'm gonna cut you loose here and uh again i i I appreciate it i appreciate it man thanks for having me on and uh good luck this fall you too man thank you all right there you have it another great episode austin chandler thank you very much for coming on and recording this podcast i appreciate it buddy um we're definitely gonna do another one some some other time i i really i feel like austin's gonna probably be a return guest on this quite a bit he's just a, a solid guy really knows his shit when it comes to whitetails and he's just doing things on an elite level he just it's an upper level and it, it he just does it so well so 
yeah, I want you guys to go to iTunes, please, and leave a five-star rating, leave a review. And I'm going to say it again. Go over to Working Class Bow Hunter, check out their podcast. It is an awesome podcast. I listen to it every every week, every episode they bring out. You know, they get out Doug and Kurt and uh, Eric and Austin and then Ross Biggard. Also, he's he's part of the crew, and you know, I'm, I'm going to miss their whole crew, but you know, I, I I tend to get a lot of their guys on because they're just solid dudes and they know what they're doing. So. Um, appreciate you guys listening don't forget we'll be back right here next week on the fall podcast thanks guys